Amen, amen. Always great to start uh, going into God's Word with a prayerful heart, ready to receive what God would speak to us today through His Word. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and grab it. Make your way to 1 Samuel chapter 3. This is the second week of our Prophets, Priests, and Kings series. So it's been exciting even last week to see how God worked through a woman and her singular pain, a single issue, and her prayer to the Lord God responded. And we're going to see today that God is going to train up uh, and call that man Samuel that we read about as a response to Hannah's prayer in chapter 1. So I'm excited about that. Hope you've been excited about the prayer books that you got when you came in today, the 40 days of prayer. Uh, like Brandon mentioned, this whole year, our vision and our focus is that we would grow in deeper ways in our prayer life. And so uh, this is just one resource that we hope to give you throughout this year. And I hope you grabbed one. If you didn't get it on your way in, make sure to pick one up on your way out. And I mentioned it last week, but it starts this coming up Wednesday, March 1st. And if you start it on March 1st, it will actually take you all the way up to Easter. So this prayer book is meant to prepare our hearts, uh, to cultivate us, to be more intentional, to pray leading up to Easter Sunday. So I hope you grab one. It's a great resource for you to use. Now, this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 3, where we're going to be today, is really talking about how God speaks to us. How God speaks and calls us. And I don't know about you, um, I don't know if you're kind of new to church, or maybe you're, you've been here for a long time, but you still hear people say things like, God is calling me to do this. Or God is leading me to do this thing. And maybe you've heard things like that, and some questions just kind of come to your mind as you hear people make statements like that. Like, how does this happen? <laughs> how is it that God speaks and calls people to do things? Or maybe you're even asking, does God still really speak today? Does God do that? And I hope that as we read this passage and unpack some of its truths, that it will give us clarity to understand how God speaks to us. And I think that one of the reasons why there's so much confusion around God speaking to us or leading us is because we have so many other voices that are turned up so loud in our, in our culture that it drowns out the voice of the Lord many times. I was reading an article just this past week, and in there it says that currently, every day Americans take in five times more information than they did in the entire year of 1986. In one day, we have more information than people were, were taking in in the entire year of 1986. And there were a lot of great things going on in 1986. And we got hammer pants going on. Ninja Turtles are coming on the scene. Like, all that great stuff is happening. And even at that time, it only, I mean, a whole year's worth of information now can be placed in one day for us. So, how does that break down? This article, it kept talking, and it says every day outside, outside of our work time, it does not count any of our work consumption of information. This is just our leisure time. We process about 100,000 words a day, every day. The world right now has roughly 22,000 TV stations, 22,000 TV stations, which produce 85,000 thousand hours of original programming every day. Every day. The average person watches five hours of television daily. And none of this is counting YouTube. YouTube uploads 6,000 hours of video every hour. Every hour. 
This doesn't include any of the video gaming that's out in our culture, right? There is so much out there from DVDs to books to, to magazines to internet. I mean, we've just got all this information, some modern, some dated, but it is all pouring out onto our daily lives. So God is still speaking, but it may be that the volume of our world is turned up so loud that we can't hear him. So I hope to answer the question, how do we know God's voice today? How do we discern God's voice for my life? And an even better question is this. Once I discern it, how do I obey it? How do I obey it? So follow along starting in verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord there, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here am I. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I didn't call. Lie down again. So he went and he lay down. And then the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel rose and he went to Eli and he said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Son, go lie down. So Samuel did not know, did not yet know the Lord. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he rose and he went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. And Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. If he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and he lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling out as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew. Because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel, and he said, Samuel, my son. He said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all of Israel, from Dan to Bathsheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh. But the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Pray with me this morning. God, we praise you. We praise you for who you are. That you are a God who is near. 
God, we thank you for your word that you've given us so that we could, could know you in a real and a tangible way. And that we could also know your will for our lives. Lord, would you speak to us through your word today and lead us to respond to it with a heart of obedience. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, the first thing I want us to be able to see today from this passage is in the words of Francis Schaeffer, that God is there and he is not silent. That God is there and he is not silent. It's important that we start this to say that God is there because remember, last week we looked at this is a dark time. This is a dark season for God's people. And here in chapter 3, it's going to highlight it again. That this is a, a season of darkness. There's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of brokenness that you find in the world and in the culture during this season. And at the very beginning, you find it in verse 1. It says that Samuel's there and he's serving in the presence of Eli. Eli. Now, Eli was the high priest, and we saw him in chapter 1 briefly mentioned. In chapter 2, we start to see a little bit more about who he is and what his family life looks like. But as we read this passage today, we find that his sons were doing some very broken, dark things in the house of the Lord. It's a very sad thing. They blaspheme against God, and they did that in multiple ways. It tells us in verse 13 of chapter 2 that literally they were manipulating the offering that was being brought in, and they were taking what was for the people of God, and they were spending it all on themselves. They were not godly leaders, although they were in the house of God. We also find that they were sleeping with the female volunteers that were in the temple. I mean, this is a broken, dark time, even within what we would say is the church, right? Within God's people, there's a brokenness and a disparity in chapter 1, when it says Eli, we hear and think or should think of his sons and the brokenness and the darkness of that time. And yet God still speaks, even if it's rare. Even if it's rare. Verse 1 says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. First of all, I'm grateful that the Lord's word was there. <laughs> that God was still speaking in these dark times. But as I read this and I thought about this, this this specific statement broke my heart this week, that the word of the Lord was rare. And the reason why it breaks my heart is twofold. One, I'm thinking about the people at this time, that they didn't have the word of the Lord so plentiful. And the reason why that matters is because what Brandon shares with us when he read that passage from Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, God's word is a life-giving word. God's word is better than then the sweetest taste that we could experience is better than the riches that we could find. It's better than money. It's better than all these different things. And so to not have it, oh, man, that's a sad picture. It's a depressing picture. That's a dark picture. And his word would be rare. But thankfully, it's not absent. God is still there, and he still speaks. Now, the second reason why this breaks my heart is not just for the people at this time, but for us today. Because the exact opposite is true for us today. God's word is not rare. Most of you brought a copy of God's word today with you. If you don't have one, we have one in our Welcome Center that you can grab on your way out and take with you for free. To give to somebody you're sharing the gospel with, or if you're new to Christianity, you're kind of exploring things, then take one of those copies of God's word and you can have it. Or you can download one on your phone or your iPad, right? Like, God's word is everywhere. 
But what's sad is it's not rare in our time. It's just rarely studied. It's just rarely applied to our lives. And even in dark days like that, God's word is still speaking. God is still there. He's still working. And in verse 2 and in verse 3, in the, in the Hebrew, it loves to use poetry or kind of contrasting languages. And it's going to continue to highlight this dark time. And yet God's presence is still there, but it's going to do it in a very poetic way. In a way that we might read it on the surface and miss it. But in verse 2, it tells us about Eli. And it says that his eyesight is beginning to grow dim so that he could not see. What that literally means is he's aging in a, in a way that his eyes are growing dim that he can't see like he used to. And so, yes, Eli is getting older, but there is something else that's going on. And we see it in verse 3. It says, the lamp of God had not yet gone out. You see, where Eli is struggling to see as he ages, we find that even though he can't see anymore because things are so dark physically, God spiritually has not let his light go out. Has not let his light go out. It's still shining. And I think about this for Samuel. Samuel is, is there, and he's lying down, he's sleeping in the temple of the Lord. It says where the ark of God was. Now this light that would be there would be in the temple to remind people of God's presence. And so in this dark time, as they look at this priest that has led them well for, for a season, and now is aging, God's light has not gone out. In the temple right there, the light continues to burn to remind us, to remind the reader that God's presence is there. He's there. He's, the, he's still there in the darkness, in the difficulty. And he is not silent. God was still speaking at that time, and he's still speaking today. Like I said earlier, it may be that he's speaking, but the volume of our world has turned up so high so loud that we can't hear him. So practically, how do we know God's voice? How do we discern God's voice in our lives? Well, the first way is through his word. The main way, the primary way in which God reveals himself is through his word. See, we open the Bible and we read, we are listening to God's word. This is how God chose to speak. He put his word in a written form in sentences and paragraphs for generations to read and to understand. God chose to put his word in this way. One, to help with confusion. That if we're confused about something, we can go back and we can read it again and say, God, I've forgotten that word. Or I don't understand that. And we can go back and read it. Not a, I've got to think back. What did he say? What's going on? No, we can go to God's word over and over again. And this is what's amazing. God has spoken to us through his word. And this book that we hold in our hand, many, many people in our time is like, well, this is a great historical document. This is a great historical document that explains and records true historical events, which is accurate. But it is far, far, far more than that. It is alive. It is active. It convicts us. It encourages us. It strengthens us all from God's word. Primarily, God speaks to us through his word. If you want to hear God speak, then read it out loud. Read it out loud. This is God's specific will for our life found in these pages. Man, the God of all history. 
the eternal, the almighty one has given us this word. All that we would pour our lives into understanding it. I believe that some of the confusion that we have, the, the, the wanting clarity, but not diving into his word that is spoken to us. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's hard. But some of the greatest gold is found in mining in the deepest of places. So study God's word, not to boast up your ego and your mind, but to change your heart. That you would love him more and follow him more. Know his specific will for your life, and it will guide the general will for your life. Some of you here desire to hear God speak and to call you in different areas, and you're sitting here like, well, I, I get God's word, and it guides me in, in different parts, but like, what about, should I take this job or not take this job? Or should I, should I marry this person or date this person or should I not date this person? Should we move or should we stay? Like, how do I understand all of that? If God is still here and he's still speaking, then how do I understand that? Well, let me give you an acrostic to help you kind of walk through some categories to think through discerning God's calling in your, in, in your life. And it's the word gospel. Gospel. And I love it. I didn't come up with this acrostic. Um, this guy Adam Flint did and grateful for him. But this word gospel is something that we're never going to get away from as a church. It's something that we desperately need to be reminded of again and again. God's grace to us that he would come from heaven to earth to take our sins in our place in order to give us eternal life. That is the smallest, simplest way for me to explain the gospel to you. But this acrostic is going to help us understand how we apply the truth of the gospel into our daily lives. How we evaluate God's stirring in our hearts, whether it's aligning with his word and his will or not. And the first for G is this. Does it glorify God? Does it glorify God? Will this decision primarily be about God's glory or your glory? It's easy for us to make our decisions and to feel like God is leading us a certain way because it completely benefits us and it's what we want, that step up in the ladder or that job that gives us a pay raise or it gives us a sense of security of the person we're dating or the person we're marrying or how much money we have in retirement. But the question we have to continue to ask as believers is this, those that believe in the gospel and have been transformed through the power of the gospel, is does this glorify God? And that is central that's the whole reason why our purpose statement starts with, we exist as a church to glorify God. It's all about him. Always has been. The O here is for other Christians. Other Christians. What do other believers who are filled with the Spirit, wise friends, what do they say about what you feel like God is leading you to do? This is why I cannot highlight enough how important small groups are. Getting connected and being around other believers so you can ask them this question. Is this where God is leading me? Is this what's, what I feel like God is, is, is calling me to do? Is that the right thing? You see, I've talked to many people who will make a decision and not ask anybody else. And they say this, if you're here and you make all your decisions without talking to other Christians and other believers beforehand because you know they're going to disagree with what you want to do, and that's the reason why you're not asking then it's the wrong decision. It's the wrong decision. So often we'll hold back and we'll be like, no, I'm not going to talk to anybody else. I'm not going to ask other believers because I want to make this decision for me, which ultimately goes back to the G, which is about your glory, and it's about you and not about God. 
So if you want to avoid bad decisions, if you want to know you're following the Lord faithfully, then get around other Christians who are wise and know God's word and know him and listen to them, especially for those in the the dating world. For years, I did singles and young adults ministry as a pastor, and I would see uh, person after person get into bad relationships, and it would break their heart and break a lot of things in their life, but they would never ask anybody about it when they would get into these relationships. And that's just one instance. I know there's multiple instances in our lives where we need other believers to say, and this is just not a wise decision. It's just not a wise decision. The third uh, for S is this, Scripture. Scripture. I started with this. I'll continue to highlight this because this is foundational. God's inerrant, infallible word of, uh, speaks to us and guides us. It is primary. God is not a liar. He's not the author of confusion. He's not trying to trip you up. God's word is truth, and it's meant to bring light to your life so you know the decisions to make. And I have counseled people, I've met with people who will say things totally counterintuitive to God's word. They'll say, God is leading me to do this. And I'm like, oh, buddy, I don't, I don't think he is. <laughs> well, no, no, he is. Like, in my heart, like, I know that I should commit adultery and leave my wife. That is a real scenario that's happened. No, I know it. I know I'm supposed to do this. Like, no, 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 no. Like, God's word is really clear. You shouldn't do that. And there are many places in, in, in Scripture where God is really clear, and we want to say, well, I don't have clarity on it. And I find it fascinating that most of the times the things that we don't have clarity about are the things that we disagree with most in our heart when we read God's word. Not that God hasn't been clear or God's word hasn't been direct. It's like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. And so come back to the scriptures. Let the scriptures guide your life and your understanding. The third for P is prayer. Prayer. Have you taken intentional time to pray through what you feel like God is calling you to do? You see, too often what happens is we will make a decision and then turn around and say, God, would you please bless the decision that I've already made? It was for my glory, I know, but like if you just bless it, that'd be great. All that we would, we would work backwards from that. Would we pray? Would we fast and intentionally seek God's will in an area before we make a decision? Allowing him to guide us. E is an interesting one. As you seek God's will for your life, as you seek to understand God's word, think of evangelism. Evangelism. Will what I feel like God is calling me to do or leading me to do allow me to share the gospel with others? One thing I know without a shadow of a doubt is that every believer... God has called you to go, therefore, and make disciples. God has called you to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Everyone who's a believer, he's called you to do that. And so think about it. God, is what you're doing, is this going to open up a door for me to faithfully show others the gospel through my words and through my actions? Is this leading me to that or is it leading me down another path? The other path we'll find underneath lifestyle. That's the L, lifestyle. Is what you're thinking that God is leading you to do, what God is calling you to do, will this lead you to a lifestyle of holiness and love? God will not lead you to a lifestyle that leads you to sin. He won't. God is not going to lead you into darkness. He'll lead you to light and life and holiness. And so as you evaluate, God, are you speaking to me in this way? Are you calling me to do this? Look at where it leads you. Look downstream to say, okay, yes, this leads me to holiness. This leads me to loving God more and loving others more. 
follow him in these areas. God is there, and he is not silent. Now the question that we have to answer is how will we respond to God's voice? We know that God's word is primary, and we read it, and God's going to give us understanding as we kind of go through this checklist of these different uh, letters of the gospel. But now the question is, when we listen to it, will we obey the Lord? Will we obey the Lord? Which is what we find a majority of this passage is about. Did you see that? God speaks multiple times, but the real focus of it is what the person does with what God says. And I love what God does with Samuel. I love what he does. He calls him multiple times, and he calls him by name. All the patience of God. He didn't just call to Samuel one time, and Samuel's like, oh, I got it wrong. I'm going over here, and I'm talking to, to Eli. And God's like, fine, you got it wrong? Done. No, God is patient. And he comes back, and, and he calls Samuel by name again. The second time, he doesn't come and be like, hey, you idiot. You didn't listen to me last time. You didn't understand. So here I am again calling you a dummy for not understanding. That's not what God says. He comes again with his personal touch of Samuel because he knows his name. He knows his story. He knows his situation. He knows his mom's prayer. He knows all of that. So he comes and he says, Samuel. Samuel mixes it up again. He doesn't understand the Lord. And so he goes back to Eli, which we can talk about the patience of the Lord in this section. But look at Eli's patience, right? Like, he's basically had a newborn that night, like, waking him up multiple times throughout the night. <laughs> and yet, Eli's like, no, 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 okay, I, I think I realize what's going on. God's stirring your heart and your mind. So when he speaks to you again, just, just listen. Just listen. Now, Samuel's experience is unique. Getting woken up in the middle of the night by an audible voice from God, like, nowhere else in Scripture do you see anybody's calling look like that, Okay. So don't hear me say that God's going to call people like that within our church. I think he's called without an audible voice, but in a much louder way through his word. I do. But right here, he calls him. And he calls him to something specific, to share the word of the Lord. Share the word of the Lord. Which is the same calling that he places on our lives as believers. That we would listen to God's word and that we would share it with others. To be a fulfillment of the great commission and the great commandment. God has called every believer to that, and we have to hear that call from God's word today. And you might say, what is the great commandment? What is the great commission? What are those things? In Matthew chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, Jesus says that there's no greater commandment than this, that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. You love God with everything. And then the second is like it, that you love your neighbor as yourself. He's like, that's your calling. That's what you're supposed to live out, to love me and to love others with everything. And Jesus says, the whole Old Testament, all the law, everything else can be summed up if you live out those things. That's the great commandment. And then Jesus, the last commandment before he ascends to heaven to go prepare a place for us, he looks at his followers and he gives them the great commission to go, therefore, and make disciples, to share the gospel, to share the good news. God has called all of us as believers to do that. You see, we can look at our salvation of coming to Christ as a stamp of approval to do whatever we want. But it's not supposed to be. 
It's meant to be a seal of commitment to do whatever he wants for us. That's what it is. And that's why Samuel responds to the Lord's call so faithfully. In verse 10, after he hears the Lord call him again, he says, Speak, for your servant hears. Speak, for your servant hears. This is extremely important how he responds to God's callings for his life. Because this statement, speak, for your servant hears, when he calls himself a servant of the Lord, what he's saying is, God, speak, Whatever you say, whether I like it or I don't like it, my yes is already on the table because I am your servant. You are the Lord. And so whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. I am your servant. Is your yes on the table like that? When you listen to God's word, when you hear it proclaimed, when you read it, when God stirs in your heart for you to share the gospel or to pray for others, are you responding in that? Are you saying, I'm your servant, God? Whatever you say, that I will do. Now, you might think, well, I'll say yes as long as it's something good and it's something that's uh, helpful and it's something that's maybe easy for me or encouraging for me. But look at what Samuel says. He says, speak for your servant hears. And then God's like, great, great, great. I'm glad you're willing to put your yes on the table because I'm going to actually call you to do something really, really hard, okay? And so his first sermon that God tells Samuel to preach is judgment and pain on his mentor Eli and his family lineage. <laughs> I can remember my first sermon that, that I ever preached. I was 16 and I preached uh, a section in the book of Colossians. I'm sure it was horrendous. I would never let you hear it. We wouldn't share it today. I'm just, it was probably bad. But I remember afterwards, people came up and they encouraged me. They're like, man, that was a great message. That was good. My parents took me out. We had lunch afterwards, kind of celebrated. Like, all those things were good and encouraging. That was my first message. Not the same for Samuel. God comes and he speaks, and Samuel's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. Your servant is here. Your servant hears. And he's like, okay, I want you to pronounce judgment on Eli. I want you to look your mentor in the eye, and I want, to tell, I want you to tell him that on the same day that his kids are going to die, God's going to strip the ministry from him. All right, there's your message. Go. Okay. That's difficult. And he doesn't hide his difficulty. In this passage, it says in verse 15 that Samuel lay there till morning. It doesn't say he slept. He hears what, what God is going to do. And I, I'm guessing he probably stayed awake all night. And then the next morning, he wakes up and he goes and he opens the doors of the house. And it says in verse 15 that Samuel was afraid to tell Eli about what the Lord has said. He's afraid. So he's probably like trying to get about his task and try to hide and be like, just don't look at me, don't talk to me, like we don't need to talk about any of this stuff. And Eli hunts him down and says, hey, what is the word of the Lord? What is it that God says? And it could be really tempting for Samuel to not speak in truth because he's fearful. He's more afraid of his, the thoughts of his mentor or friend that he's not willing to speak God's truth, but he doesn't. He comes forward and he says, this is what God has said. This is what God has said. And those of you that love to dig deep into God's word, you'll find the fulfillment of what God says right here in the book of Jeremiah. God keeps his word, even generations later. And God does it. He acts in this time, but later fulfills it in the book of Jeremiah. Now, 
what's fascinating to me is not just Samuel's response. Samuel hears God's word. He says, yes, I'm going to act. I'm going to respond. Your servant is here. Speak, and I'll do it. But I think it might be more challenging to look at how Eli responds to God's word. You see, God's word comes to Eli, and it's not this prosperity, encouraging, like, yes, Eli, I know your, your, your eyes are growing dim. We're going to give you your eyesight back. All your sons, they're rebelling against God. They're actually going to repent from their sins. They're going to turn. They're going to follow me. Like, that's the word you need to hear. That's not what Eli hears. But look what Eli does when he hears that this word of judgment is coming on him for his sons blaspheming God. Verse 18. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And look at that response. When God would come to us and say things that we disagree with or we don't like or things that are hard or things that are difficult, oh, that we would have the faith to respond, you're the Lord, which means you're omniscient you know all things, that you're eternal, you're, 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 you're the same at the beginning and the end, Lord, you control all of time, and I trust that even though I disagree with what your word says, that you are the Lord. So let you do what seems right in your eyes, for you are the Lord. Oh, church, if we could grasp this, the streams of calm peace that would flow into our hearts and into our lives would be amazing. If we would grasp the truth that God is Lord and he knows all that is right, and so if he chooses to do something we disagree with, it's better. It's better. And we find throughout Scripture that many people refer back to Eli's statement. In 2 Samuel chapter 10, David will quote verbatim this statement. David will hear some news and he says, well, you know what? God, he is the Lord. And so let him do what's right in his eyes. We trust in him and his wisdom and his authority. The book of Job doesn't quote it specifically, but it alludes to this as well. You guys know Job his story, how difficult and how dark and how hard everything was going on in his life. And he responds, he's like, you're the Lord. You're the Lord. You're in control. You do what's right in your eyes. But the greatest picture of this we find in the Garden of Gethsemane. What Jesus says to God the Father, not my will, but your will be done. You see, Jesus is hoping that this cup of the cross would pass over him, that he wouldn't have to go and die for our sins, our transgressions, our iniquity, that he wouldn't have to suffer in our place, that he wouldn't have to do that. And yet he says, but Lord, you are God. And so not my will, but your will, Father, your will be done. You see, this is, this is what our response should be to the word of God. And it astounds me how many people within the church who've Maybe even been in church their whole life. And they desire to follow God with conditions attached to it. There's a temptation for us to treat God like he's our life coach and not the Lord. Where we want to come to him and get some, some life coaching every once in a while. But not realize that he's the Lord of our life. We want to hold on to the right to veto or ignore or tweak anything that we don't like that God says to us. But we can't do that. For he's the Lord, and we are his servant. <laughs> Sometimes I, I would compare it to, to back in my driver's ed days. I don't know if it's still like this today, but in driver's ed, 
the, the instructor sat in the passenger seat, and in the passenger seat down at the bottom, there's a brake pedal that they can smash, right? Some of y'all have seen that. And, and, and thankfully for driver's ed, that can be really beneficial to have that brake on the driver's ed, uh, the, the instructor's side of things. I remember for me, I was riding in the back seat, and this person was driving one day, and they almost ran through a red light. Like, cars coming and everything, they were just completely oblivious, and the instructor slams on the brakes, like, nope, we're not going there, stop, right? And I'm like, okay, that's good, I'm glad they had that. Another time, we were driving up this hill, um, and the, the person in the driver's seat is there, and the instructor says, hey, look at that sign, and tell me what that sign says. And the person looks, and they squint their eyes, and they lean forward, they're like, blind driveway ahead, <laughs> And, uh, and I was like, wait, that's a blind driveway ahead. And uh, yeah, yeah, like, we're going to slow down right here because there's a blind driveway ahead. Like, in that kind of scenario, it's a good thing. But what I fear that we do is that oftentimes this is how we want to, to, to live our lives with Jesus. Jesus, you sit in the driver's seat and you can drive wherever you want to. As long as I'm in that passenger seat with the brake and I can slam on that brake whenever I want to. So you're driving my life. That's great, Jesus. But if you call me to do something that I don't want to do, if you say something that goes against the grain of where my heart is leading me, I'm just going to slam on the brake and say no. No. And so we read God's word where he gives the great commission and he tells us to go share the gospel. And, and, and we're like, no, 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 no. Like I love you and I love the forgiveness and I love the gospel coming to me, but I don't want to take my time or my money to sacrifice taking the gospel from neighborhoods to nations. So like, er, we're going to slam on the brake right there, Jesus. The line stops right here. I have the right to veto. We're pausing. We're not doing that. Or, or we look at our life and God calls us to forgive somebody that has deeply wounded us. And we're like, nope, slamming on the brake. God, everything else is good. We're not going down that road. I'm not, I'm not going that way. I know I heard your voice. I've read your word. Have you called me to forgive? Not doing that. We slam on the brake. We want to put conditions on God. Or we look at our identity or our sexuality and we're like, well, this is what all the culture says and this is what I feel in my own heart. But I read how you've created me in, in your image and you've called me to, to live in holiness and in purity. And we're like, nope, don't want to do that. That's too hard. Boom. And we slam on the brake. And we say no to God. See, God is calling us not just to come to him and give him a piece of our life, but all of it. That we would come and not give him a maybe, but put our yes on the table. Speak now for your servant hears. And if I disagree with it, Lord, I'm going to respond and I'm going to say, you're the Lord. So do what's right in your eyes. Do what's right in your eyes. And we would follow Jesus and take the brake pedal out of our life, relinquish the veto power that we think we have, and say, you are Lord. You are Lord. And some of you might say, well, I'd love to do that, Ryan. I'd love to, but that seems too hard. I don't know if I'm strong enough to do that. I don't know if I'm talented enough to do that. I don't know if I'm steeped deep enough in my faith to be like Samuel or to be like Eli at this time. What you need to hear and what I need to hear is that God is seeking people who are surrendered to him. Not the most gifted ones. He's looking for people that will just be surrendered. Samuel, by all rights, should not be the one that's speaking the word of God here. I mean, he didn't come from the right tribe. He was kind of adopted by the temple. The temple didn't even have enough to pay him, so he's an unpaid intern there. Can't even afford clothes, so his mom comes up every year and he gives him clothes. That's what we find in chapter 2. You see, he wasn't, in his eyes and in, in the culture's eye, he wasn't meant to be the prophet of the Lord. And yet God chooses him because he's surrendered. Because his yes is on the table. 
And he uses him as this premier prophet. He uses him as a priest in Israel. Why? Because God seeks those who are surrendered to him. Those who lay their yes on the table. So let me ask you this. As God's word speaks, whether you read it in your own personal time, whether you're in a small group and you're dialoguing about it, whether you come on Sunday morning and you read God's word, what is your posture to it? Do you respond like Samuel and say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears? Or do you want to put that brake pad down and slam on and say, no, God, I don't want to do that? I love how C.S. Lewis says it in the book, Mere Christianity. He says, Christ says, give me all of you. I don't want a certain amount of your time, and I don't want a certain amount of your talents or money. I don't want a certain amount of your work. I want you, all of you. I didn't come to reform or correct the natural self, but to kill it. No half measures will do. I do not want to prune a branch here and prune a branch there. Rather, I want the whole tree handed over to me, the whole outfit, all of your desires, all of your wants, all of your wishes, all of your dreams, turn them all over to me. Give yourself to me, and I will make you a new self. I will make you a new self. Give me yourself, and in exchange, I will give you myself. My will shall become your will. My heart shall become your heart. What he's saying there is that God wants our yes. He wants all of us. Not a portion of it, not a segment of it, all of us. And listen to me as we close today. This is important. Before God calls you to do something, he will first call you to himself. Before God calls you to change something in your life or to try to live in morality or to change all things, God will always call you to believe in him first. To have your sins cleansed and washed away. That you would have your heart of stone turned into a heart of flesh. That your ears would be open. That you'd be able to hear God's word clearly and respond And for many of you today, God has come to you just like Samuel over and over and over again. And he's called your heart out and said, believe in me. Trust in me. Confess your sins and find forgiveness. God is doing that again today. Would you repent and turn to him and find life? And for those of you that have been called to God, now he's called you to something. He's called you to something. And would you be faithful to live out the great commission and the great commandment to help the gospel go from neighborhoods to nations? Would you listen and respond to the word of God this morning? Pray with me now. Lord, we want to respond to your word and to your truth. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to to be bold where we are weak. Lord, where we think we're not strong enough, help us to remember that, Lord, you're just looking for those who are willing to surrender, to lay their yes on the table. And so, Lord, for some of us in this room, we're going to pray right now that you would forgive us of our sins. We're going to say, Lord, we are your servant. We look to you as our Lord and not a life coach, and we want to follow you. And you promise if we do that, confess our sins. You're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So thank you for that promise. And hear our prayers as we do that now. And for the rest of us here, we, we need to just put our yes completely on the table. We've tried to follow you with all these different conditions. We've known you. 
you, you, you saved us of our sin, but the sin that we continue to hold on to is the, the sin of no. Lord, help us to say yes. Help us to say yes to love as you have loved us. Lord, help us to say yes to be faithful to share the good news. And Lord, open up doors for us to do that with boldness, with confidence. And Lord, would you give us great wisdom. God, whatever it is today, help us to lay our yes down before you. For you are the Lord. And we are your servant. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, we're going to stand now and we're going to sing Yes, I Will as a response to hearing God's word today. So whatever he's stirring your heart, whatever he's calling you to do, the things he's calling you to pray to, to give to, you'll be faithful to respond and say, Lord, yes, I will. Pray with me now.